about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your sisters or brothers, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous." When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. It's great to be with you tonight. My name is Mike, I'm one of the pastors here, and if you are new here online or in the building, a special welcome to you. It's so good to have you. I hope you experience the generosity uh, that we are speaking about tonight. Now, I'm back from holidays, in case anyone noticed I was missing for a little bit, Um, and my heart is is so full. Uh, This week has been wild. Uh, We had our staff retreat at McMaster's Beach, and we even got a bit of rare spring sunshine. That was fantastic. We did do some work. It was actually quite busy. Uh, I baptized two people who came to faith, which I'll tell you more about later. Um, I've had so many great chats. We've had room for many where we experience the generosity of our community working together, and I get to preach on this cracking passage, and my heart is full, but as you might imagine, a little bit manic as well. And so I'm going to pray that God would quieten our hearts, quiet my heart and mind, that I would speak with clarity, and that we would hear the simplicity and goodness of Jesus. Let's pray. Father... Speak to us tonight. Help me to speak clearly. Help me not get in the way of your word and its power in our hearts. And fill us with your spirit to overflowing, that we might respond to you in all your kindness. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. 
Now, to help us think about generosity, we look at doing this series on, on overflow, if you're uh, sort of just coming at this point, uh, we're looking at the generosity of God, how that has overflown to us, and now, as we're impacted by God's generosity, how that overflows from us. And tonight, I'm looking at living lives of generosity. So we've looked at God's generosity, uh, last week we looked at uh, how that impacts our heart, and today I want to sort of trace out some of the contours of what it looks like to live a life of generosity. And I want to grant our thinking in, uh, in, in banquets. I love banquets, uh, but it's not just because I love them, it's because Jesus loves them. He's constantly talking about how the kingdom of God is like a banquet. But it's not just a Jesus thing either. Uh, it's actually throughout Scripture. Uh, this, the guy at the pa- party that Jesus is at says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And he says that because it's an Old Testament idea. It's a rich idea. And uh, I just want you to close your eyes for a moment, and as I read Isaiah 25, this ancient prophecy of what God will do, imagine this banquet. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, He will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. He will remove his people's disgrace from all the earth. The Lord has spoken. What a rich image of the generosity of God, of this incredible banquet. Who doesn't want to be at that? And it's so all-consuming. It's not just have a good feed. It's actually God will, will do away with death and sadness. That is a banquet. That's the kingdom of God. And we are invited into it. You might have expressed, uh, experienced some generosity uh, in parties and in banquets. Uh, maybe think Christmas, parties, uh, birthdays, whatever the case may be. I'm hoping you've experienced a generous banquet at some point. Uh, if not, I will give you an invitation to my house and you may experience something. But when you experience the generosity of a generous host, it's pretty easy to imagine what it's like or, or kind of remember what it's like in that you don't need to worry about what to bring uh, because the host is generous. You don't need to worry about whether you'll be fed because the host is generous. You need to think about yourself at all. You're just there to enjoy the goodness of the generous provisions of the host and in the context of other people who are also enjoying the generosity of the host. It's a beautiful picture. We want to be part of that. And this is what a good host wants for their guests, to be able to enjoy their generosity. And in this way, it's a foretaste of the kingdom of God and His generosity. And the thing is, is Jesus going to say to us, we are freely invited to this banquet, to, this, to the kingdom of God. The cost of this generosity has been paid for by Jesus' blood. We are freely invited to this banquet. And it's one of the reasons why hospitality was such a central theme to Christian life uh, and gathering. The Lord's Supper, uh, back in the day, first century, was not just kind of like a little uh, sort of thimble of of juice and a little cracker or kind of a ripped off bit of bread. Uh, No disrespect to the way we do it. It was was a, a generous meal that people gathered around and sort of embodied this kind of kingdom of God idea. Uh, So much so that it was known as a love feast. A bit weird, right? 
Uh, it was a bit weird for first century people too, looking in on Christianity, a bit of fun fact here, uh, people looking in on Christianity and not quite sure about it, hear about these love feasts, uh, they know that these kind of people are gathering as brothers and sisters in Christ and love feasts kind of took on this like really kind of like seedy kind of feel, uh, but they just misunderstood what was happening at these love feasts. It wasn't an orgy, it was actually uh, a gathering in, in, in the love of Christ, His generosity, embodied in, in, in kind of uh, generous provision, and that overflowed as people were invited in. In that way, I love the idea of a love feast. But hospitality is just one currency of generosity. There's other currencies that I'm going to talk about, we'll come back to at the end of the sermon. Uh, thinking about sort of service towards others with your time, with charity, thinking about relational grace, how we practice generosity in our relationships. And we'll look at finances and giving uh, next week when Matt finishes the series. Uh, but for now, I want to use Luke 15 and the banquet that Jesus is at, the way he talks about banquets, as kind of the platform to sort of trace out the contours of living a generous life. And uh, there's a few things I want to say. If you want to keep the Bible open on your phones, that would be great. Uh, or if you're at home, you can have a paper Bible. Maybe you brought a paper Bible. Let's get back into that habit. But there's four things I want to say about generosity. Verse 12 of Luke chapter 14, generosity does not expect a return. Read with me. Uh, when you give a luncheon, that's such a modern translation, it sounds like Jesus is doing sort of meetings or something. Uh, when you give a, a, a banquet or, or a dinner party, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters or relatives or your rich neighbors. If you do, they might invite you back, heaven forbid. And so you will be repaid. Now, Jesus is not saying you shouldn't hang out with friends. That's a great thing. He had friends. But he's asking you to do more than that. Gospel generosity isn't quid pro quo, that's not the gospel. It's not just being nice to each other, that's not the gospel. Radical grace is at the center of the gospel. And as such, we are concerned more about the good of others than of ourselves. So when I invite you to my place, I'm not expecting, oh Mike, you're so great, you're a great host, come over to my house, we'll hang out. Sure, we'll do that, that's fine. But I want more than that, I just want to serve people because I want to emulate how Christ has served me. That's where payment is. That's where generosity is fueled from. And Jesus keeps embodying this. In fact, we're going to see Jesus as the greatest embodiment of this kind of generous living. When He fed the 5,000, He looked across uh, the sea of people and He simply saw uh, a sheep without a shepherd. He had compassion on them. He didn't say, if you've got two bucks, I'll give you a fish. He didn't say, put up your hand if you want to be a Christian, you can have a bit of bread. He loved them generously and did this great miracle and fed them all. And when you think about practicing hospitality, living a life of generosity that has the others as its focus, then you actually need the time to think about and the intentionality to think about the good of the other. It requires forethought, it requires resourcing, it requires you to be loving. Having been at various churches in my life, I've experienced various levels of generosity. I mean, when you think about it, we are uh, gathered by grace, so we should always be a motley crew of sinners being saved by, by Jesus, and in that sense, we're always going to kind of mess up a few things on the way, but I've experienced various levels of generosity, and I am suspicious sometimes, I'm not speaking about you guys, um, of the many churches I've been in, uh, of churches that seem to kind of 
uh, just meet in circles and, and kind of do things within those circles all the time. They have these beautiful friendships, but they're hard to get in. It feels like it's hard to actually be welcomed into the body of Christ. Uh, the way we should relate to each other, not only should be porous, that is, people can enter in, but it should be extravagantly, radically looking outward, of welcoming people in. Because we're not expecting returns from each other, but we're actually loving people for who they are and bringing them in. I want to say that radical gospel generosity is measured best by the outsider. Let me say that again. Gospel generosity is best measured by the outsider. So it's not good enough if we think we're generous. How does the outsider think of us? That's what we're called to as Christians. Because it seems to me that the second point is generosity has a heart for those in need. Uh, Jesus goes on, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame and the blind. And again, nobody embodied this more than Jesus. He cared for the sick, ate with sinners, lifted up the outcast. Jesus was God's demonstration of radical generosity, His grace. And the thing is, is we're spiritually dead too without Christ. And so we are the cripple, the lame, the destitute. And it was only by Christ's grace shown to us that we were lifted up, that we were welcomed in. And so this should kind of shape the way that we love people. Not just nice people, they're easy to love. Not just your rich neighbor because they're going to give you a lobster meal back. No, no, we are to look towards those who are in need and love them like Christ. Again, Jesus certainly had His beloved around Him, uh, His friends around Him, but there was a constant overflow in Jesus that cared for the vulnerable around Him. Now, whatever the world makes of us, whatever margins we're pushed to, whatever foolishness we're told we're believing, let this be a mark of our faith, that people may be able to say, look at how they loved. Now, whether we're running kind of uh, food ministries like Room for Many or, or the Thursday Food Ministry or working with Bike Shed and Asylum Seekers, they're all great things. They are the programmed version, the programmatized version of what we're all called to live out. That is, to be radically generous with a special heart for those who are in need. It's starting to get heavy a bit, right, as you think about how this plays out. Thirdly, generosity is a resurrection value. As Jesus goes on in verse 13, going into 14, although they, the blind, the lame, the destitute, cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, when you think about Jesus, again, Him embodying uh, gospel generosity, uh, He lived in a world of scarcity. As As He traveled around, there were people in need all the time. I have needs. Help me, Jesus. And they did have needs. But they, they were living in scarcity because uh, they weren't, those needs weren't being met. And Jesus is someone who was living in abundance. As much as He kind of poured Himself out to live amongst us and the worst of us in the worst conditions, He didn't seem to kind of be trapped in scarcity thinking. He lived a life of abundance in that He just overflowed with care for people. Whatever He was doing, He would stop and care for those in need. How did he keep doing that? How did he keep pouring himself out for the love of others, even unto death? He trusted the Father all the way through, even into that point where he's praying in the garden, not my will be yours, as he goes to the cross. 
And this way of life, this trust in God, is not vindicated in kind of being repaid by going to fancy dinners. It's repaid in the resurrection. It's at that point where God the Father says, this is the glorious life. This pouring out of ourselves to generously love those around us. It will hurt, it will be hard at times, but you will be repaid at the resurrection. Let me just pause for a moment here, because it sounds a little bit like you do a bunch of good things in life and God will kind of say, yep, you're going to be repaid, you're good enough to come into heaven. That's not quite what's happening here, in that we are saved entirely by grace because Jesus perfected this life, He trusted the Father fully in ways that we have not, we will never be good enough, we'll never be able to do enough where God will say, yep, you're good enough to come into heaven. So we are saved by grace in what Christ has done. And at the same time, God's justice and judgment is just. And He'll be able to look at everything that's happened in the world, all the good things and the bad things, and be able to say, well done, good and faithful servant, in the ways that we have lived like Christ. There'll also be ways where we've disappointed Father and let that godly sorrow lead to repentance. But know that we are saved all the way down by grace, and yet uh, everything will be shown for what it is in the resurrection, where we're ultimately vindicated as a brother of Christ, as a son and daughter of God. Now, how are you feeling at this point? Are you feeling like this is kind of like, whew, this is like, gospel generosity is like, not as nice as it sounds. It's hard. You might be feeling thankful to have received radical generosity as as given by others. Uh, You might be feeling disappointed because as much as I kind of talk about the high calling of how we are to practice gospel generosity even amongst ourselves, you're kind of left wanting, a bit disappointed by having not received this. Maybe guilty for not being as generous as you feel like you ought or wondering how the heck you're going to carve out more time and energy from your insane schedule to do more. I kind of want to say it's right to feel all of those things, because the fourth thing I want to say is that gospel generosity is costly. Can't escape it. It is costly. When you think about the parable that Jesus gives uh, after someone at the banquet uh, sort of talks about uh, the kingdom of God being like the banquet, uh, we get this picture of of a a person uh, who holds an extravagant banquet, which would have cost a fair bit of money would have taken a fair bit of time to plan, read out all the invitations, sent them out. That was a costly exercise to, to be generous towards people and invite them into this great banquet. Uh, but even maybe more costly is the rejection. Uh, to have invested so much time and energy to want people to be part of this. Uh, no, uh, I just bought five oxen. Sorry, can't come. I hate that Facebook reply to events. Uh, or, or maybe even more so, just simply the association with the lowly people that he ends up inviting. Like, is this guy so desperate to have people come that he would invite the kind of the, the lame and the blind in the, in the lanes and the byways? Is he desperate? No. It might have looked like it would have been costly to associate with the lowly, but this is an extravagantly generous invitation for all to come. But nonetheless, costly. What's clear is there is an intentionality here. From the beginning of the planning of the banquet all the way to its execution, there is an intentionality that people would come and experience the generosity of the host. And in this sense, it's modeling Christ. God's invitation for all, uh, whether you're high, in, in sort of high status in life, or whether you're in the laneways and byways, all are invited in to experience the generosity of God. 
It just so happens that people who are busy and well-to-do don't feel like they need it. And those people cut themselves off as the parable ends. But God's intentionality is extraordinarily costly as Christ dies for us that we might be included at this banquet. So it's not really making it making you feel much better if you feel like this is a hard way to live. I'm kind of owning the fact that it is costly. Uh, before we go too much further, I kind of want to look at some generosity corroders. That is, as we try and live out this life of generosity, uh, there are a few things that kind of eat away at our ability to be generous. And the first one is a distrusting God's provision. You know, if you're living a life of scarcity, you're living a life of kind of uh, just kind of hoarding or kind of just grabbing resources for yourself just so you can kind of get through. And if you're in a vulnerable position in life, that's totally kind of legitimate and we want to be able to care for you. But the thing is, is we kind of, as Matt said last week, our heart turns inward and we find it hard to escape that. That is, we're always trying to grab things for ourselves to elevate ourselves. And when we do that, we're not trusting in God. And also when we do that, we're not actually thinking about others as much because we're busy thinking about ourselves. Just a couple of chapters earlier in Luke chapter 12, Jesus tells a story of a rich young fool, another parable, uh, who spends his life um, kind of uh, hoarding a grain and he's quite good at his job or whatever and it kind of keeps getting more grain and his problem is, I need to build bigger barns so he can get more grain so he can live his life of luxury at the end and then he dies. And Jesus is kind of like, what a fool. Kind of harsh, but... The guy who dies with the most toys still dies. And in the end, you face judgment. All of us do. But what comes after that is Jesus saying, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear, for life is more than food and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens. They do not sow or reap. They have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable are you than birds? When we trust in God, we're not living in scarcity thinking anymore. We're living in abundance because God cares for us and we trust Him that He does. As we live generous lives in those moments, we're actually trusting God. So what eats away at living generous lives is a distrust in God. I kind of want to name that. We might just think about sort of what's happening in our heart. Secondly, thinking of yourself as better than others will definitely eat away at your ability to be generous. Again, another parable from Jesus where he he sort of puts uh, a Pharisee and a tax collector side by side praying in the temple. And the Pharisee prays this ridiculous prayer. Uh, It's a religious person if you're not not familiar with the Gospels. He's a really religious person, a leader, um, knows the law really well. And he prays this prayer, thank God I'm not like the tax collector. I'm not like those guys. What a ridiculous thing to say to God. Meanwhile, the tax collector, he's on his knees beating his breast saying, Dear God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, which one's going to live out a generous life more so? Surely it's going to be the one who acknowledges their need for mercy, receives it, and then is merciful and gracious towards others. So as soon as we think that we're better than others, we stop being generous towards them, or we do some weird kind of like generosity out of pity. Thirdly, busyness. This one's a killer. When you're busy, you don't have time to sit down and plan how to love others. You're not thinking about others' good as much. I think of uh, the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, uh, where the priest walks past the, um, and this one hurts as kind of a pastor, the priest walks past someone who's in need, 
And while it doesn't say in the text, I kind of get this feeling that he's too busy focusing on what he needs to do as a righteous person caring for other righteous people and just walks over this, in fact, passes on the other side of the road of this guy in the ditch who's in trouble. He is too busy to be generous. Friends, we need to be really careful. I wonder if one of the benefits in the whole COVID reset thing is that we get to rethink about what makes up our lives, what we fill it with. My fear is we'll just go back to same old, same old, busy, crazy chaos. How might we actually shape our lives with the intentionality that we're seeing as we're called to live, uh, as we model Jesus' generosity to us? And fourthly, there's a whole bucket of things that come under this one, people-pleasing will eat generosity because it sneaks in uh, hidden heart motivations that are not godly. That is, I'll be generous to you because I want you to think well of me. You don't have to repay me, just think really well of me. There's other things, other traps like uh, being treated like a doormat and maybe not practicing good wisdom and boundaries as you pour yourself out. But nonetheless, uh, this is a complicated topic when we get into the nitty-gritty of life. We're actually pouring ourselves out for the sake of others and there's all kinds of heart motivations that are going to war against that. So, what do we make of that? As we keep stuffing this up, let us keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Paul in Colossians says this, So then, just as you received Christ, that's the beginning, that's every day. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Every time you kind of fall short of the calling of this radical generosity, come back to Colossians 2. Come back to the, to, to the generosity you've received in Christ, that you've been invited into the banquet of the kingdom of God, not because of what you've done, but because of what Jesus has done, His generosity. And let he, God continue to transform you, because His generosity is transformative, He's powerful. Let Him continue to be at work in you. Have you received this invitation? As we think about uh, the purpose of Luke 14, it's that you would receive the invitation, not be so busy with your oxen or your, or your land or your job or whatever it is that you're filling your schedule with, uh, that you might receive the invitation and keep coming back to that. God's grace to you. But as we've tried to wrestle with kind of, you know, just prioritizing and making sense of how, how we do this, if you think practically about this, I had a great conversation yesterday that I want to share with you. It's, it's with, with a lady who has been part of our church since COVID, actually. She's not been able to be in the building yet, uh, but she's been watching online the morning service. Her name's Melinda, and she has MS. And uh, her health has made it difficult for her to attend things like uh, church, particularly uh, with the risk of being sick. And I said to her, as she helped out with Room for Many, I said, what does it look like for you to be generous uh, with someone with MS and with all that you're wrestling with, with your health. And she said, Mike, have you heard about spoon theory? Put it behind if you heard about spoon theory. Excellent. Well done. Uh, I had not heard about spoon theory before, but I found it so helpful. It's really quite simple. Every morning, you wake up with a certain number of spoonfuls of energy. It might be six spoons, could be 20 spoons. Uh, and in your day, uh, certain things require a certain amount of spoonfuls of energy. So getting up out of bed might require one spoon of energy. And uh, it's just a concept, Right. Uh, going to work, three spoons. Uh, going, doing exercise, four spoons. Whatever the case may be. And so, uh, people with chronic illness uh, who kind of thinking about spoon theory uh, realize that on any given day, you have a certain amount of things you can do, 
and you've got a certain amount of energy you can use towards that. And so you have to be really intentional about what you do and what you do not do. Now, having not thought about this before, I often think that I have infinite number of spoons and just hit the day hard and kind of see what happens. But people with MS and other chronic illnesses have to think really carefully about what they're going to do in their day and what they're not going to do. And so again, I come back to the question of, to, to, to Melinda, what does it look like to practice gospel generosity? And she says, it's very simple and profound, it's simply all about priorities. So for her yesterday, she chose to use one of her spoons to serve at Room for Many. Why did she do that? Because she's been shaped by the radical generosity of Jesus, and it's affecting the way she prioritizes things. Other days, uh, she's got more spoons, other days, less spoons. Every day, there's intentionality in how to order your day and what to fill it with. I wonder if that might be helpful for us. Some of us have lots of spoons, some of us, not many. Some of us don't have many spoons left because we've chosen to fill up our lives with really hectic stuff. Uh, Maybe we need to rethink some of that. Whatever the case may be, let us be intentional with how we live. And so let me come back to kind of the currencies of generosity that we practice. Those we get really practical, right? And the first currency I want to think about is hospitality. I mean, it's kind of, it's the obvious one. It's the kind of analogy, the, the, the banquet, the kingdom of God that Jesus has been using here. How might we be radically generous uh, in our hospitality? One of the things that come to mind is a book by Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, you might have heard of her before. She was radical in her opposition to Christianity. Uh, and through a series of, of meals being invited over by, I think, an elderly sort of Presbyterian couple, uh, she just railed against them. They just kept being generous to her in feeding her and kind of welcoming her critical uh, questions and comments. And over time, uh, that, that radical hospitality actually really transformed her because it created a space for her to be able to rage against uh, Christianity, uh, then explore and then be curious and then be open. It's kind of actually what Alpha tries to do. Uh, But she writes this book called The Gospel Comes with a House Key on her own testimony. And she calls us to practice radically ordinary hospitality. And what she means by that is ordinary. She's she's saying, invite people to to live your life with you, in in that sense. Like, don't come to my kind of fancy banquet that I've sort of cleaned the house, I've kind of put on a nice suit, everything is squeaky clean, and it's all amazing. Now, just invite people into your everyday life. When I was living at Roseville, uh, I went to lots of nice sort of house parties uh, with beautiful homes, uh, hedges, pools, tennis courts, uh, and really nice food. Uh, My house was a little less than that, and it was filled with three boys, including maybe four, including myself, and my house was a bomb at times, and it would be easy for me to say, uh, this shop is closed, and no one's welcome. But we chose to sort of live the anti-exhibition life in that we want to invite people into just our life in the moment, and if it was hectic and crazy, so be it, living life and sharing gospel, just what it was. And so it's ordinary in that sense, but the radical nature of radically ordinary hospitality is simply calling people into that. That's radical. Other things we've tried to do is open house dinners, where we would simply just invite people, anybody, to come have dinner. I put on Facebook at the beginning of this year, if anyone wants to have dinner, uh, my house is open for anyone who wants to eat around our table uh, on X day or whatever. And as I knocked on my neighbor's doors and we had conversations with people, uh, all kinds of interesting people gathered around the table to the point where uh, someone walked around the playground at, um, at our school where my kids go and started warning people that it was like some kind of cult trap because it was just a weird thing to do. <laughs> Whatever the case may be, uh, intentionally think about how you might practice this kind of radical hospitality. 
Because that's the thing, right? It's not just about like, well, let's just see what happens in the week. It's actually being intentional. Thinking about how you're going to fill and prioritize your week and your days. Number two, uh, currency of generosity, service towards others. Uh, Give thirsty people water, hungry people food, charity to those in need, and practice tangible acts of love even in the body of Christ. I think that's one of the really important things about gathering as much as we can uh, in the building. As good as it is to be online and gay for you online, uh, we also want you to kind of be in physical community that we might actually care for each other because it's what we do, it's who we are. And it's harder to do when there's a gap across the tech. Uh, But, you know, for people like Melinda and others, it's been great to be able to broadcast the good news of Jesus and help them feel like they're part of the community. But I want to share one example, and it comes out of um, this baptism uh, that I did this week. I know I'm a bit over time, but it's a good story and I want to share it. Um, Kit was joining us online at the beginning of COVID as well, online. A friend invited her in. It happened to be about the same time that uh, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And Kit had uh, been around Christians for a long time and kind of thought, of, thought fondly of Christianity, but hadn't really made a decision for herself. And so when she's diagnosed with terminal cancer, uh, it gets very real very quickly, and she's all in. She decides, actually, I need to make a decision, and I'm going to trust Jesus with my life as my Lord and Saviour. And as I come back from holidays this week, um, and as things get more and more real for her, uh, she says, I want to get baptised. And I was like, fantastic, let's, let's talk about that. Uh, and, and we organised doing a baptism in the palliative care ward at Calvary um, Hospital in Cogra. And it was, it was, it was beautiful, right? Uh, but what happened a few days before, sort of at uh, the beginning of this week even, uh, her husband, who's a Japanese-speaking man, uh, says, I, I think I'd like to get baptised as well. And she says, well, do you trust Jesus? I love that, right? Uh, not just kind of like, that'll be a nice thing to do together. She's like, do you trust Jesus? And he's like, I, I would like to. And so I get this text message saying, uh, Hanyu wants to get baptized too. And I was like, well, I should, I should have a chat to him first just to make sure he, you know, he knows what he's doing. Um, but I don't speak Japanese. And so I start calling, uh, I, start, I contacted Ken actually saying, can you help me sort of do some contacts here? Uh, ended up speaking to a minister of a Japanese church um, uh, up North Sydney way. And he put me in contact with someone else I didn't know from a bar of soap. And so I call her up and say, look, um, I hear you might be able to help in translation. Here's the story. She's like, I would love to help. Straight up, right? I would love to help. I've never met this lady before. And so we organize a FaceTime chat and we're doing two ways to live in Japanese and had an hour and a half of conversation. And in the end, in tears and joy, he says, I want to follow Jesus. Uh, I need Jesus. And so there we are talking about him being baptized. And then we're like, okay, so baptism, we need to do some translation in there too. So I'm back on the phone to, and to this lady. And the next thing I know, she's rearranged her entire schedule for the Friday. And she's driving from Castle Hill all the way to Cogra so that she can be in person uh, at this baptism to translate with the gift of a Japanese Bible. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) And I get the feeling, having met this lady just for a little bit, that that was ordinary for her because she loved Jesus and that's just the way he's transformed her. How might we live out a radical generosity based on the grace of Jesus in this particular currency, in the simple act of serving others? Let me finish up, I'm getting a bit long. Uh, Relational grace, just real quick, uh, at the staff retreat, uh, we talked about personality types and blah, 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 just for a bit of funsies, but also to understand each other a bit. Uh, I'm an achiever, probably overachiever, and so for me, I run the risk of kind of cutting across relationships, of treating people as tasks and and blah, blah, blah. Uh, I need to constantly uh, be repenting of and thinking about how I'd be generous in my relationship with others. 
generous to myself. I'm very hard on myself, uh, punching through tasks, trying to, do, trying to be perfect, really. Uh, I can't be that. Jesus is that. Uh, and I need to be thinking about how I'm generous towards others before I judge them. Uh, and that's, I'm constantly thinking about how does God's generosity shown to me reshape me in my personality type? How might Jesus be doing the same thing for you? And as I said, finances will come to next week as part of living a life of generosity. Have you received the invitation of God's generosity? And will you let that flow out in your life? Will you let God's generosity transform you that you might live a life of generosity? So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him, rooted and built up in Him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church Podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.